Okay, while the uh, buckets are just completing their rounds, if you have a Bible, would you like to turn to Mark's Gospel and chapter 8? If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the references will come up on the screen, but we're going to be looking together at Mark chapter 8, reading from verse 27. And... uh, through to the very beginning of chapter 9. We'll read that section now. Here we go. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Well, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, uh, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Let's pray. Father God, we we want to thank you again for your word. We want to thank you, Father, for revealing yourself to us through through your word. Lord, Father, I thank you, Lord, this point in Mark's gospel, this massive pivot, this huge watershed moment where Peter comes to realise and verbalise who you actually are. Father, I pray that in a variety of different ways, Lord, today would be a a watershed for many of us here. It would be a a turning point. It would be a time when perhaps familiar or very new and vibrant truth um, is received in our hearts and leads us in in following you, Lord Jesus, as your disciples. So, Father God, we pray, let your word uh, move in power amongst us, Lord, as we, as we gather to look at it, as we then worship again. Father, I want to thank you for your activity amongst us. So come and have your way, Lord God, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. From time to time, really, really big news uh, hits the headlines. Every... TV channel, every newspaper, every social media platform, everybody is talking about this one uh, top story. Have you heard? When something really, really big breaks, you remember where you were. And bear that in mind if you're kind of grieved by England's performance in the World Cup last night. In the future, you probably won't remember where you... I guess you will remember where you were if you're watching it. Anyway, it's not that big news. Sometimes there's like big news locally... I can remember where I was when floods hit Sheffield. Um, 
I, I can remember sometimes news breaks, which is nationally pretty massive. I can remember uh, where I was when I heard about Princess Diana's death. Um, and I can remember where I was when something hits the, the, the world news. Just the globe is affected by one event. Something like uh, the Twin Towers, where you know that nothing is going to be the same again. Um, and so for weeks and weeks, different eyewitness accounts come out. Um, and we just, it, it's gone over and over and analysed. And the repercussions are, are huge. Often when that happens and big news hits, it's it, it, bad news. Um, Sometimes the good news is the, is the little kind of trivial, amusing, not completely insignificant, but news items that are kind of towards the end of the program, and they begin, and finally. And at that point you know that it was a slow news day, and it didn't have loads to say, and so it rounds off with something a bit kind of peculiar, you know, along the lines of a, you know, a cat being rescued from a tree or winning some award as a good citizen um, or you know, Christmas Grotto goes bad, Father Christmas arrested. Uh, I mean, maybe, depending on what your parents have told you, that might sound like the biggest news ever. Um, but kind of the, the, the and finally pieces are just the, the, the small little amusing trivia at the end. Um, Mark's gospel really turns out on its head where we, we're having this massive impact of, of good news. This is, this is world changing. We're learning about moments that changed everything and nothing would ever be the same uh, again. And that's what we're going to see as we go through this pretty massive passage, really. There are some huge headlines um, that come through um, that we'll spend some time uh, looking at. This is actually the most important news um, that we will ever hear, um, will ever understand. It leads to some questions to, to answer that are the most important questions uh, we will ever face. The first big headline is, Jesus is the Christ, or newsflash, Peter confesses the Christ. Um, someone has realized at last who he is. That's a question that's been running through Mark's gospel uh, so far. Um, who is Jesus? The disciples we've seen, are, are, up until this point, they've been in the dark, um, puzzled, confused, uh, blind even, and the question has been left hanging, who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus kind of asks them now at this point, well, who do people say I am? The disciples have been in the dark. Public opinion kind of settles on a few options. This is what sometimes happens. Uh, A big debate gets boiled down to just a few choices. Um, So Jesus asks the question, who do people say I am? And uh, notice that there's no massive debate that's required, no huge conversation. They know the, the general views of the masses have settled down onto three ideas. Verse 28, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Very similar to what was said at the, um, partway through uh, Mark chapter 6. Um, Focusing on, on King Herod, where it says right there in verse 14, some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. Um, so there's some variation. Um, 
But really, public opinion had settled on three options, or is it really just variations on one? Jesus is a prophet. Now that's, that's special. Israel hadn't had a prophet for 400 years. But it's a way of saying Jesus is like us, but a bit special. Uh, one of us, but he's been given something from God. He's been given a message um, from God. Public opinion can do that. It settles on just a few uh, options. And then at some point we stop thinking and sign up to what someone else has said. Um, can be what happens. I remember um, just kind of doing that myself. When asked the question towards the end of my years as an undergraduate student, what are you going to do next? And I was aware, basically, there's kind of three options. I was aware of different people picking different options. There's go back home. That didn't seem very appealing to me. Uh, There's stay put. Or there's move on. And, um, And honestly... I was aware of those three views, three ideas, but I didn't have a clue. I hadn't come up with a plan. But I needed to come up with an answer to the question, what are you going to do? Kind of getting towards the end of your third year, what are you going to do? I didn't know. But I created an opinion um, in order to answer the question. And I blended the two, perhaps to kind of win over different people. I said, oh, well, I'm going to stay here for just one year, uh, and then I'll move on somewhere. And there was nothing behind that. That's just what I said. Uh, and sometimes, quite simply, we, there can be nothing behind it. What, what we say is just a collection of other people's ideas. And that can happen with who do we think Jesus is? Um, might be very aware of what parents think. Might be very aware of what classmates think. Might be very, very aware of what lecturers or your teacher uh, thinks. Might be very aware of neighbours and colleagues. Maybe very aware of public opinion somehow the view that's out there who is Jesus and so we just kind of we we find maybe an answer but what happens here is the conversation moves on not just what do people think what do people say but what about you I was trying to dodge that question in regard to what was I going to do at the end of university oh I don't really know maybe blend a few answers there's not much behind it you know the direct question invites us to consider personally right for ourselves as Jesus asked his disciples but what about you who do you say I am who do you say I am this is big news Peter opens his mouth and he's not expressing someone else's opinion because up until this point no one else has expressed this well we'll come back to that in a moment we know that Mark's gospel began with Mark saying, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There we had it, if you like, the big headline right at the outset of Mark's gospel. But as they are living and walking with this man called Jesus, um, no one had the advantage of reading the prologue to Mark's gospel. They just met this guy and they were trying to work it out. Who is he? Well, everyone just thought he was a prophet. Now, Peter is saying, you are the Christ. His eyes have been opened to who Jesus is and no one has said this thus far apart from evil spirits up until this point it's only evil spirits who really recognize who Jesus is Uh, we've seen that in a couple of places Uh, Mark chapter 1 and verse uh, 24 Jesus is in a synagogue and it says just then uh, in verse 23 um, 
A man in their synagogue who was possessed, influenced by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Well, that's simple enough. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It happens uh, a number of times. If we look in, uh, in chapter 5, verse 7, uh, Jesus and his disciples rock up on the other side of the lake, step out of the lake, and encounter a man who's influenced by um, a legion of demons who shouted at the top of his voice in chapter 5, verse 7, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So you get these rich statements about who Jesus is from evil spirits who've been flushed out of hiding. But this is the first time that one of the disciples has really seen it, has really grasped it. Jesus is the Christ. The Christ is the Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word. The anointed one. Not just a bit special. Not just like us, but with something from God. See, that probably is public opinion, isn't it? Some people might kind of say, no, Jesus is definitely uh, fictional, or Jesus is clearly uh, deluded. Most people would probably land on some variation of Jesus is like us, but a bit special. The first faith healer, the uh, a moral teacher, he, he had something from God, actually, most Muslims would say, well, he, he, he is actually a prophet. He had something to say, but it's not like the full deal. He's not the full, he's not the anointed one. He's not the only um, saviour. He's like us, but a bit special. Probably what most people uh, would say if they want to be diplomatic or otherwise. But, um, but Peter realises, no, he is the uh, uh, anointed one, the chosen one. And that was language that was understood at the time as meaning the Israelites were looking forward to this amazing anointed one who would be their deliverer, who would rescue them from all their trouble, um, who would put the Romans to flight and would bring them into the, 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 the fullness of what was always intended, the kingdom of God. Peter's realized that Jesus is the Messiah. And that would be the message they shared um, when there was a Roman emperor who would want to go by the name the Son of God. Peter, the apostles and others would say, no, Jesus um, is the Son of God. Um, Paul would say that. Paul would write in the book of Romans, chapter 10, uh, and verse, uh, verse 8. Uh, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, for it is with your heart that you will believe. Uh, uh, that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. They were looking forward to being saved. Um, Peter has realized it's all in Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. There comes another massive worldview rearranging headline in what follows, though. Jesus, 
must suffer. This would have been a bizarre, weird newsflash. They've, they've known right since the beginning, Jesus has been, been sharing um, chapter 1 verse 15, uh, the kingdom of God is near. Fantastic. The kingdom is arriving. The king is here. This is, real, this is good news. This is leading us to our salvation. This is leading us to our deliverance. Everything is going to change from this point onward. Nothing is going to be the same. And then they're, they're kind of walking with Jesus. They're seeing. And here's all the stuff that they've been thinking about. Yep, this is part of it, but this is not the full deal. Look, Jesus comes and he's teaching the people. He's teaching the people grace. The king has come and to heal the sick. The kingdom of God is near, so he's reaching out to outcasts. He's changing people's lives. We've seen Jesus declare forgiveness for sin. He's even raised the dead. He's training and he's sending out disciples. He's making a new community for God's people to be drawn into. It's a totally new wineskin with new wine being poured into it. It's not just about one ethnic group. It's about the whole world coming into this new community and knowing that they're part of God's family. We've seen Jesus feeding the hungry and we've seen him delivering people from evil spirits and so now Peter's realised Jesus is the Christ. We've seen all of that so far. I wonder what's to come. Whew. Because we can't have seen it all yet. If Jesus is the Christ. This is all just building up to what he's going to do. All building up to this, this kind of crowning moment. This, this pinnacle of the kingdom. We've seen so much but we've not seen it all yet. There's more to come. I wonder what it is. Where are we heading? What's next? What's Jesus' ultimate mission that's going to wrap everything up Jesus began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again (gasps) what well, Jesus, you're, you're the Christ. You've even said it yourself. You're the son of man. And if we look back in, in Daniel, we, we might see what some understood that to mean. What some understood. This Christ figure, this anointed one described here, the son of man. What is to be, if, you were familiar with, if you're familiar with Daniel chapter 7, you know that Daniel gets a vision of monstrous beasts. One following another bringing absolute mayhem, darkness, destruction and fear. One beast is, is worse than the next. And at the time, these disciples and all the people in Israel were living with a huge beast, a huge monster occupying their land, the Roman Empire. So here we, we know what it is to be oppressed, hard-pressed, this is grim but there's a vision of God seated on a throne and now as Daniel looks in chapter 7 verse 13 
He writes, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Oh, praise God, the king has come. Praise God, the Son of Man is here. Praise God, his Christ, his anointed one, has come to deal with these horrific beasts. See how he's been given authority, glory, and sovereign power. He's, he's been led into the presence of God, and he himself is worthy of worship and must be God. It's mystifying, it's wonderful. God's people looking forward to this day, yes. Our champion has come, our deliverer is here, it's all glory now. Oh, oh no, what's going on? It's like this treasure hunt has been happening. There have been all these clues along the way and now they're kind of arriving at the end of the treasure hunt thinking, well it's going to be good, what's going to happen now? The showstopper to end all showstoppers. Jesus coming into his kingdom, but he's predicting here now for the first time. Now they understand, now they've confessed. We understand who you are. We know who you are. He said, Well, actually, you now need to understand what's my mission? The Son of Man must suffer. It's not just an accident, it's not just a consequence of the kingdom. This is the kingdom coming. The Son of Man must suffer. This is big news. Jesus is saying, I am destined to die. I'm destined to suffer. I'm destined to be rejected and killed. And the disciples are in a shock. They know, okay, we've heard Jesus talk in parables. We've kind of got to tune in. I wonder what he's saying. I wonder what he's getting at. I wonder what he's trying to get across. But we see here, verse 32 he spoke plainly about this. There's, there's no kind of subtle meaning. It's not an illustration. In some way Jesus is going to suffer. No, he's actually going to suffer. He's actually going to be rejected. He's actually going to be killed. And this must happen. It's quite easy to see why Peter, who's had his eyes open... Still wants to take Jesus aside and say, "No, you must have it wrong. You, you, this, this can't be uh, the way that it is." He began to rebuke, began to correct, try and tell him something different. Why was that? Well, he had in mind the things of men rather than the things of God. And in different ways, different times, we all have in mind the things of men. What is the thing of men? Well. Be successful by preserving and protecting yourself. No, Jesus, you, you don't go down that path. No, because, because you're the king. And kings sit on thrones. And kings rule. And kings are sovereign. And kings can delegate nasty stuff to other people. And and. And they're in charge and they're in control. And, and so you've, that's where you are. That's where you're going to be. That's where you've got to stay. So that's, 
it's madness, Jesus. You, you must be mistaken because success is always to do with us coming out well, isn't it? Success is always to do with, with kind of having what I'd like out of life. Our third newsflash is, is completely different. <coughs> Jesus must suffer. Jesus is the Christ. Thirdly, disciples follow their leader. What was Jesus actually coming to rescue them from? He wasn't coming to rescue them from the Roman Empire on the outside. He was coming to rescue them from something that was happening on the inside. What's happening on the inside is I must get out of life what I want to get out of life. I should be in control I want to be a success, I come first, which has always been the root of the problem, always been the root of the issue. Satan in the garden was trying to tempt God's people away from what God had said. And I said, no, did God really say? Did God really say? He wants them to, he wants, he wanted Adam and Eve to put themselves on their own throne, be in control of their own lives. And that's where Peter still was. No, that's madness. So you think, oh, it can seem very noble, can't it? No, Jesus, protect yourself. You deserve more. You, you deserve better than this. Uh, you are on the throne. You should never suffer this thing. Oh, that's very concerned of you, Peter. You know, well, I wonder why he was so strong on it. Is it possibly because he's seeing the implications? If that's where the leader goes, that's where we're going to be led. And I don't want to go there. I don't want to head into, that, into a life of suffering and rejection. I don't want that, so I'm going to try and persuade Jesus um, out of it. Jesus gathers the crowd. Uh, the truth is not dumbed down, but in a sense, he, Jesus is now speaking to uh, uh, the big crowd of people rather than his disciples. It's almost back to um, speaking slightly less uh, plainly. Against the prevailing wisdom, I suppose. If, if you want people to join, anything we're involved in, if you want people to join, don't make it difficult. Don't make it hard. Don't make it a huge step to, uh, to overcome. People can ask, well, where, where's, where's the catch? Uh, there must be a catch around here somewhere. No, 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 there's, there's no catch. Your normal life can continue. Completely as it was before. Um, Ed Shaw, in writing in his book... Um, the plausibility problem kind of hints at this in writing of, of Mark. Uh, trying to kind of tackle the problem of really uh, suffering should always be avoided can be the, the thought process by which we kind of uh, live life. And he said, well, we can live life as though our Christian lives are a continuation of our previous lives with a thin veneer of Christianity, which means just being nicer to a few more people. That's it. What's the catch? There's no catch at all. Just be a little bit nicer uh, to a few more people. Jesus has no such words of apparent uh, comfort when he says to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
Jesus doesn't mince his words. Our, our crosses to bear are not just the small annoyances of life that we haven't quite managed to get rid of. He's saying this is a complete change of life. What he came to do in suffering was to rescue us from sin that says, me first, protect myself, get what I want out of life. We're being rescued from that into a wonderful new life of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. We're called to follow Jesus. We can wrestle with the implications of discipleship, but what we're being invited back to is a place of just recognizing again, it is all about Jesus. And that is actually wonderfully good news. It's all about him. We're a few... um, church leaders from different parts of the country were gathered here in this very room this week. Uh, We're part of a a group of churches that go by the name Christ Central. And in worship, we were just reflecting on on that, Christ, Christ being central. It is all about him. We kind of revisited some of those classic worship songs from yesteryear, like Jesus, lover of my soul. It's all about, it's all about you. Or who is there like you? I'm lifting up my hands, letting go of it all. It can seem like coming into the Christian life is losing, losing so much. Um, what's interesting, though, is that's temporary. It says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for the man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? I think, oh, I just want to, I want to keep my life. I want to keep hold of everything. I want to get out of life what I want. Imagine right now that you, into your hands was, was poured uh, some sand. And you're told, keep the sand. What you might be inclined to do is grasp hold of it really tightly. What happens as a result of grasping sand even more tightly? It runs through our fingers even more quickly. And that's not life. And Jesus has come that we don't kind of just have our life and kind of grasp it. This is what I want, this is what I want. And actually it's just, it's, it's no longer life. Life is giving it all to him and, and seeing where he leads. Jesus is leading towards his own suffering many of his disciples would follow on the same path but if Jesus is leading there first actually we're seeing that Jesus is leading beyond that to heaven and to glory itself and we're trusting that um, we will follow so living life our way can often be about fear about self-preservation about i must have personal control i must try and fulfill all my life's goals and ambitions i want to have a satisfying life but in attempting to try and save life it's inevitable we lose it the way to save our lives is just to give it all to him say i'm trusting you in a sense, that's kind of what was coming through partly towards the end of our worship time is he's faithful, we're trusting him, not, our, not ourselves. It's saying, I'm letting go of all of that fear and I'm choosing to follow him. It's easy to sometimes make an assumption in a, a, a meeting like this, in a... Um, with a number like this, we kind of think, you know, recognise every face and think that... It, 
everyone's in, everyone's, everyone's fine, we'll just do another pep talk for the week. Um, but coming into a close is another opportunity today at looking at God's word to say, but what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? You might be very aware of what parents think, what uh, classmates think, uh, what colleagues think, what neighbours think, what society thinks, and just kind of satisfy yourself living with a kind of blend of, well, I guess I'll just go. Jesus is coming to you and saying, who, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And to see then, as we'll be unpacked as we look beyond, uh, beyond this passage through the rest of Mark's gospel, why it is that Jesus had to suffer and why it is the best thing for us to choose to follow him. And that can, think, that can mean, well, I, I'm, it feels like I'm letting go of so much. It feels like life's just going to go through my fingers if I do that. Yeah. But the best life is one following him where he's in control, where he's leading the way. And if he's leading the way, we know where that's going to, where the destination lies. In glory with him uh, forever. So, so big news. I think so much now in the world, we are bombarded with massive headlines, massive news, and it's all bad. Um, What's God's solution? Sometimes it's not a case of and finally something trivial and small. It's and finally someone has made the, made the decision. I'm not I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm I'm giving my life to Him uh, entirely. Oh, just what blink and you miss it. It's just one person, one encounter with Him, one decision in a in a in a globe that is spinning out of control but that's the good news or that's where the good news impacts people coming to that point of saying in faith I'm giving my life to him completely I'm giving over control to him I'm following him and it's not destined to be easy and it's not destined to be immediately glorious and it's not destined to satisfy all those personal dreams and ambitions that I have it isn't A life following him is a life that's likely to lead to suffering and it's likely to be hard. It's likely to be uneasy, but it will lead to glory, to a place where we're no longer kind of grasping at a handful of sand. We are walking on the beach with Jesus and there's no shortage of sand. Think, pick it up. This is awesome. That's where God's leading. What the disciples would need to see is the way that Jesus was leading The disciples would need to understand Jesus' agenda is not defeating all all the problems out there in the world in one fell swoop right now. All the things I'd like him to do. All those circumstances that I can't control and I wish were different. God, come and make my life perfect. God, come and make everything easy. God's mission was to lay down his life in order to lead us to glory. Shall we pray and then worship? Thank you, Lord. <coughs> Father God, we want to line up our lives 
with this amazing truth. Thank you, Father. There came this point in their walk where these disciples had their eyes opened uh, to who you are. And Father, I pray for those here who need their eyes opening to who you are, that you would come and have your way, you'd come and do your work. I pray for for all of us, Lord Jesus, that there would be uh, an eye-opening aspect today where we're we're seeing again more clearly what this Christian life is about, what it's for, where it leads, and that you are a God fully to be trusted, uh, Lord God. We we don't want to grasp hold of our lives in a me-centered way. We want to come to that point again of trusting the Lord who leads the way, trusting the Lord who knows what is best, even when it seems completely to run counter, even when it does run completely counter to what the world would say. Father, we believe, Lord, we believe that following you is the most worthwhile thing we can do with our lives. Lord, letting go of our own claims, our own desires, not choking life, saving it by losing it and saying, Lord, I'm following you wherever you lead, wherever you take me. I'm trusting that you are the only one. You are the only way. You are the Lord and we're following you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Why don't we stand and worship God together?